Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Has anyone ever asked you a question that caused you to stop and think? And after thinking for a second, you began to ask yourself, further additional questions. I think that's something that's important to learning and to growth, to not only be confronted with something you don't know, but then taking time to further understand, to further ask, to further explore. And that is what we're going to be doing on today's interview. Our guest wrote a book back in 2013 focused on something called the leadership contract, but this led to further conversations, further research, further discoveries, and this has to do with the expectations that people place on their leaders. And if you are a leader, this is going to be something that will give you a lot to think about, give you a lot to begin asking yourself about. So this is going to be a great episode to help you grow in your leadership. We're going to get to a little bit more about our guest in just a second, but first... It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is a global leadership advisor, speaker, and researcher on leadership accountability. As founder and CEO of Leadership Contract Incorporated, he travels the world helping organizations build vibrant leadership cultures with truly accountable leaders at every level. His unique combination of provocative storytelling, evidence-based principles, and grounded practicality has leaders at all levels stepping up to fulfill their obligations to drive the success of their organizations. His newest book, Accountable Leaders, Inspire a Culture Where Everyone Steps Up, Takes Ownership, and Delivers Results is available now. Here is Vince Molinaro. Vince, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joshua. Looking forward to the conversation. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? Yeah. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Well, for me, it's uh, I wrote about it in my book, uh, The Leadership Contract. It's an experience I had very early in my career, the very first job I had after graduating and entering the world of work, when I saw a mentor die of cancer. And near the end of her life, when I went to visit her in her home, she revealed that she believed that that disease was a function of her spending her career in an organization that we both worked at uh, that had a toxic management culture. And uh, that story um, and that experience with Zinta, that was her name, really was pivotal uh, for me personally. And everything I've done since that day uh, of that time I spent with her and that challenge she presented to me uh, is is everything that I've done. And so I'm, I'm all about... Uh, helping leaders build compelling cultures, 
where they inspire others to be their best, uh, where leaders set the tone of accountability so that, you know, companies can do great work. And yet, you know, here we are uh, decades later and uh, we still have a ways to go um, in, in that. And so uh, I remain as passionate as I was back when I was 27 and started my first business uh, to work with leaders who wanted to, you know, who, who really inspired for more in their leadership and didn't want to, you know, succumb to toxic cultures. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A leader is accountable. A leader is accountable. A leader is accountable. <laughs> I love that. I wanted. I, I was worried that we were on a broken record there for a second, but I think you have a little bit more behind that, huh? Yeah. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? You know, right now, and it's a question I I had to um, uh, think of myself. And uh, I was uh, working with a company called Mighty Networks, and uh, their founder and CEO. Uh, Gina Bianchini um, really is a world leader in thinking about how to build communities. Um, uh, and, and her area of expertise is building online communities. So we're working with them to build uh, a, you know, a digital platform uh, in my own company to, uh, to, work, to support the programs you do with our leaders. And, and a few months ago, you know, in the midst of COVID breaking out and, and everything else happening around the world, she really kind of challenged everyone and said, who needs you the most right now? And uh, it was such a great question because I thought immediately I had the answer of who I needed to serve. And it was, you know, my clients. Um, and, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Like, just just be there for them. Uh, don't get hung up on, you know, sending invoices or billing or any of that. Just be there for them because that's who needed me the most. Of course, my family, uh, th that's without question. But I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves, because even as we're having conversations now of, you know, whether it's getting back to normal or whatever language people are using, I, I, I like using the word reentry, um, is I believe that's going to be a, a more critical leadership challenge than what we've really been encountering since middle of March. And so I think we've got to continually ask ourselves, who needs me the most right now? What's a book that you would recommend to leaders? Uh, well, you know, there, there's, there are so many. And, and so uh, I come at it in a couple of ways. So if I'm going to say a, a leadership book, uh, I'm going to think of the ones that have been most meaningful to me. Uh, and so, you know, Stephen Covey's Legendary Seven Habits uh, is, is certainly uh, up there. Uh, Jim Collins' uh, Good to Great is, is also uh, influential in terms of, you know, helping one think about you know, strategy, uh, that, that's uh, really um, important. Uh, uh, more recently, I, I love Growth IQ by uh, Tiffany Bova. Um, that really brings a, a fairly integrated perspective on how you need to be thinking about driving growth, creating value in a sustainable way. Uh, so those would be top of my list. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I would have every a listener and leader sit down and have an honest uh, moment of reflection to identify what is the tough thing that I'm avoiding? Who do I need to have a honest conversation with? Uh, who do I need to have a real conversation with? Who needs to get some candid feedback that I've been, you know, wimping out on? What is a problem uh, that I'm kind of sweeping under the rug and not tackling directly? 
because I find the more that we avoid some of the hard work, and this is an, a core idea of, of uh, the leadership contract that I write about, we, we, if we fail to appreciate when we avoid those things as leaders, how we weaken ourselves, weaken our teams, and weaken our companies. So I would encourage everyone to ask themselves, what am I wimping out on and how do I tackle it to advance the agenda of the company to drive the success of the team. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I really like uh, this question, and I spent some time thinking about it, and I actually think it's why not. Um, uh, and, and, and the reason for it is simply because uh, why at times gets people's backs up. I've seen that in, you know, through experience. Why not? You know, there's a boldness to it. There's a challenge to it. There's an opportunity to provoke people's thinking, to think of options they may not be thinking about. So I would say, why not? Well, Vince, we are here today to talk about your new book, Accountable Leaders, but you're also the author of a New York Times bestseller called The Leadership Contract. I'd love for you to speak about The Leadership Contract and how that has developed into Accountable Leaders. You talked about how your mentor has kind of uh, driven you, or at least that conversation with your mentor drove you in a lot of your work. How are these two books connected, and are there any things that we need to know from The Leadership Contract that that help to enrich what we get in accountable leaders. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. So you know this is this is a timely uh, you know when we're uh, recording this podcast, it's quite timely because uh, seven years ago this week uh, I launched the leadership contract in New York City. I was a keynote uh, speaker at a, at a conference, and little did I know at the time what would happen uh, after launching that book. The reason I wrote the leadership contract was, you know, as a leadership advisor, you know, my teams and I uh, have, have helped companies build the leadership they need to drive a, a critical strategic agenda to um, really respond to a key inflection point, uh, maybe an opportunity to drive accelerated growth, the opportunity to expand globally, the, the, the need to turn lagging performance around. And at every one of those inflection points, the expectations of leaders change. And what I found, um, you know, coming out of the great financial, uh, you know, global financial crisis was that companies were reevaluating all of their practices. And one that they were evaluating, uh, uh, you know, coming out of, um, 2009, 2010, 2011, was, uh, you know, their leadership uh, practices. And what I kept hearing over and over again was, you know, we're doing all the things we thought we needed to be doing to, to develop our leaders. And, uh, but we're not seeing it translate into stronger leadership. And, and it was fascinating when you do this kind of uh, work as an advisor, as an external consultant, when you stumble on a new customer problem, all of a sudden, you start seeing it everywhere. It's like the time you know you're you're looking to buy a uh, you know a new car, and um, you know you you kind of lock in on a model, and then all of a sudden you see that model everywhere, and it's the same kind of thing that started happening. And then I knew there was a new problem that my clients were dealing with, and they didn't have the answer. So I had to kind of sit back to kind of to really think about what's missing in how we're thinking about leadership, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a very popular topic. There are thousands of leadership books out there, uh, great insights. It's not like we need new ideas, but clearly something was being missed. And as I thought about my own experiences as a leader, through my research, uh, all my academic work, my writing, and with, with um, my, my consulting work, what, what, what really became clear to me is that 
what we're missing is this idea of a contract. There was always this implicit contract that whenever someone takes on a leadership role, they really sign up for something really, really important. But what I've learned is a lot of leaders aren't fully aware that they've actually done this. And the other thing that I've learned you know, and I've traveled extensively since the leadership contract came out, 25 countries, uh, 80 cities around the world talking about leadership accountability. And what I've learned is, as, uh, is that as humans, whenever we encounter someone we deem to be a leader, you know, whether that person is the president of a country, the prime minister of a country, whether that person is a CEO, a senior manager, um, you know, the mayor of a town or a city, it doesn't matter what the leadership role. As humans, we think leader we hold them to a high, we immediately hold them to a higher standard of behavior. That's what we expect of our leaders. They expect, we expect them to be better than everyone else, right? We hold them to this higher standard. And to me, that implies a contract. So when you take on a leadership role, you've signed up for something important. And most leaders aren't aware of it. We haven't made it explicit. The other complicating factor is when I've looked at the research and talked to my clients, and when I've asked leaders, well, how did you first get into a leadership role? The number one answer is, well, if I'm going to be honest, I got in by accident. And, and, and then the follow-up is, because I was really good at something, I was the best engineer, I was the best salesperson, whatever the area of expertise or discipline or technical area that the person excelled at, their performance stood out relative to the rest. And organizations have had a, a, a pattern of going to them and placing them into leadership roles, not giving them the support they need, not the development, not the training. And then we're, you know, we're kind of wondering why we've got issues with leadership. And so, you know, the work really then said, there is a contract, we've got to make it explicit, and it comes with four terms and conditions. And, and they are very quickly, the first is it's a decision, you've got to deliberately decide whether you've got what it takes to be, to be uh, an accountable leader. And if leadership is not your thing, you need to be honest with yourself and say, no, not for me, not right now. Number two is it comes with obligation. We hold leaders to high standards and you need to be clear on what the obligations are to serve others. Uh, number three is, as I mentioned earlier, it's a lot of hard work and you need the courage and resolve to tackle the hard work. And most leaders avoid the hard work, particularly around people issues. And the last is it's about community. You've got to work with your colleagues across the organization uh, to really build an aligned leadership culture. So these ideas back, you know, seven years ago hit the market and all of a sudden they just sort of connect and they start resonating everywhere. And we built programs and um, other consulting solutions off of them and saw them grow dramatically. And, and then as we were bringing these programs, you know, uh, into our clients over the last few years, what I began to, you know, our clients say is, this is all great stuff, and, and we're seeing our leaders really start to step up, which is great, but we expect more from them. Not only do they need to hold themselves accountable, that's the starting point. They need to hold others accountable to be leaders. They need to build accountable teams, and they need to know how to create a community and a strong leadership culture. And that's where Accountable Leaders, my newest book, came. It really builds off of a leadership contract, but it now helps leaders understand if you've kind of bought in yourself, if you've signed up and you're truly accountable at a personal level, that's the foundation. And now you need to kind of work on the organization, whether it's your team, whether it's with your peers. And if you're a CEO or a senior executive or a CHRO, you've got to put 
practices in place that help facilitate that. And this is all based on also global research that I've done in, in this time, uh, where it really points to leadership accountability is a critical business issue that a lot of companies are, are struggling with. So when it comes to accountable leaders, as as someone's listening to this podcast right now, they may consider themselves to be accountable, but if they want to ensure that they build accountability both for themselves and for the rest of their team, how do people begin thinking through that and making sure that they're setting things up for their success and for their team's success? The interesting thing is in accountable leaders, what I found in practice, because we were doing a lot of you know leadership development work based on the leadership contract, a lot of consulting as well, where you know, clients were saying, we need a leadership contract for our organization. We haven't set clear expectations of our leaders. And that becomes, you know, as I've learned, that, that, that becomes a, an issue. In fact, my global research reveals, and it's in both books, is that only 49% of companies have set clear expectations of their leaders. Only 27% believe and the, uh, that they have a strong leadership culture in place. And the really interesting thing is only one in five, 20% of over 3,000 senior executives surveyed around the world believe they have the courage to identify address and support leaders who are struggling in their roles and deemed mediocre. What's fascinating is we know who they are. This is what I hear all the time. We kind of know who they are. We just don't know how to help them. So we just kind of leave them in their role, the kind of languishing, right? And that's not good for any company when, you know, you, you basically allow someone who's struggling in their role to be mediocre. And because it's not, it's not great for that person. Uh, it's not good for the people they're leading. And you ultimately set a tone of mediocrity. And so really, uh, to answer your question, it's taking the, the four terms of the leadership contract and, and really applying it at a team lens and an organizational lens. So it starts with, you've got to make it a priority. You've got to make leadership accountability a priority in how you lead as a leader. And, and why accountability? Because what I have learned, um, you know, as, as an advisor and through my own leadership roles, is that if you want to become a better leader, the quickest, most enduring and effective way of doing it is to focus on accountability. So one of the things that's interesting about your book is that you've just talked about these mediocre leaders, and oftentimes we might say there are the mediocre leaders and then there are the excellent leaders. But what you do is you talk about mediocre leaders and then you talk about accountable leaders. That juxtaposition there is interesting, and I'd love for you to talk about what exactly a mediocre leader would look like and then how that is compared to the accountable leader as you break them down in your book. Well, you know, um, we my team and I had started doing some research because we were finding that one of the struggles that organizations had is they kind of had a sense of, of the leaders struggling in their roles and who were they, who they were deeming to be mediocre, but they weren't really clear on what that actually meant. Uh, and this became really apparent to me, uh, you know, back in, in 2016, I was doing a, a opening keynote for the conference board in New York City. And, and this was uh, for one of their leadership development conferences. So, you know, the room was packed with 200, 250 heads of leadership development of some of the world's largest companies. And when we started talking about, you know, mediocre leaders, and I started to share a little bit of our research, it was early days of that research, 
there was just a buzz in the room. Like they could have talked about that topic for hours. And then I realized this was something that was a real pain point and that they didn't really have the clarity. So we started conducting more research. And what we found were that those deemed to be mediocre uh, there's really sort of five things that that they do. Number one is they blame others. Number two is they lack initiative. Number three is they mistreat others. So they, they are uncivil and mean. Um, you know, next is that they really are seen as being inept uh, and incompetent. So they really don't have uh, a good sense of what it actually means to be a leader, uh, you know, w- which is, um, you know, which is part of the, the problem. And, you know, they're... They're kind of always hiding, right? Never, never really stepping up, and and the, and so in in the accountable leaders in one of the chapters that focuses on uh, the hard work, it's really like you've got to be unrelenting in in really addressing the mediocrity in your organization because you know we would never stand for mediocre performance of a company uh, over the long term, and yet we don't seem to know how to address address that. So I think you've got to. Um, really have a zero tolerance on that. Now, on the flip side, uh, my research has always reveal has also revealed that there are five behaviors that truly accountable leaders demonstrate. And and that study that had over you know three thousand respondents uh, worldwide, we had identi- we would ask a question that consulting firms normally ask uh, in these surveys. We ask respondents to self-identify. You know, is your company an industry leader? So are you in you know top quartile performer? And are you above average, average, or below average? And when we cut the data. Uh, we found even above average performing companies and average performing companies, their profile resembled more the poor performing companies than it did the industry leaders. So then we really honed in on the data of the industry leaders to see which behaviors distinguished those leaders deemed to be uh, accountable. And what we found is, you know, um, First off, they hold everyone to high standards of performance themselves, their teams, right? There's a, the bar is set high and that, that's critical. Number two is they have the courage to tackle tough issues and make the, the difficult you know, business decisions when they need to. Number three is they are very good at communicating the strategy of the organization to bring clarity and drive commitment and engagement of the people they lead. Uh, number four is they they are, are really excited about the company and its future, and they express that optimism every day. It's sort of you know it's contagious when they bring that that real sense, uh, genuine uh, uh, genuine passion for the company. And number four is really interesting is that while they focus on execution and they've got their heads down, they're not so you know head stuck in the sand that they're actually taking time out regularly to look out outside of their organization to see what's coming. So they're kind of anticipating trends that are coming. And, and, and so those behaviors really, you know, contrast the, the five behaviors of mediocre leaders. And so by bringing that clarity, uh, it helps organizations do a better job of, of identifying those who are already doing well to support them to get even stronger. Uh, and then identifying those who are struggling so they can really sit down and have a conversation with them to say, you know, is this something, you know, that you really want to do, you know, uh, really force the decision uh, and or support them in ways that help them get to a, a better a better spot as a leader. One of the things you talk about in your book is that leaders create culture. And if leaders are not intentional, then there are some 
fairly negative cultures that can develop. And you highlight three in your book. Could you go over those and then talk about how those relate to the accountability aspects that you've just been talking about when it comes to mediocre leaders versus accountable leaders? Yeah. And, you know, and, and that idea around, you know, leaders creating culture, you know, really is rooted in Edgar Schein's um, uh, idea that that really culture is, is a collection of behaviors. And it's ultimately the behaviors of leaders uh, that, you know, those that they demonstrate on a repeated basis that ultimately form culture and where everyone kind of gets the tone from, right? And, and, and I've seen that play out over and over and over again. But what I have found with organizations is that they, they you know, uh, culture is seen as this amorphous, uh, uh, you know, one CEO kind of rolled his eyes when we started talking about culture a few years back. And, and you know, he said, you know, for me, it feels like a bowl of jello. I can't put my fingers on it. I, I can't measure it. I don't kind of understand it. Uh, but I think now leaders are, are more and more uh, CEOs and senior executives understand the, the critical nature of culture. But what I find is they rarely pause to think about What's the culture that we need, um, you know, to drive the execution of our strategy, to create a compelling environment for employees? And by not being deliberate in defining it, you will get one, you will get something by default because human beings create culture. We can't help it. But the question is, is it the culture you need or the culture that you've just gotten? So the one uh, I describe is, is, is a rotting of zombies, right? It's imagine everyone showing up every day uh, like it's an episode of The Walking Dead, right? Just going through the motions Monday to Friday, no life, no energy, no passion, no vitality. And, and, uh, and, you know, in the leadership contract and in the accountable leaders, I described, I joined that organization, uh, early in my career with my colleague Zinta. It was a large public sector organization. It did really, really important work. Uh, you know, it helped some of the neediest people in our society get their lives back on track, but you know, the environment just was full of apathy in spite of that. And, and, you know, the, the, the risk with that rotting of zombies and why I use that term is that there is a, a basic rule of zombies. You know, what happens once someone is bitten by a zombie? They become one. And that's the power of culture, right? The culture is stronger than any one individual. I remember a few years back uh, reading an article um, I think it was an Inc. magazine, and, and, and this person wrote an article to new graduates entering the workforce. And um, he wrote in the article, he said to you know, these young, eager graduates, he says, as you join a company, look around at your colleagues, the people you're going to be working with all the time. You are going to become like them. They are not going to become like you. And that's what we have to understand why it's important to be deliberate. So you got the rotting of zombies. You know, the, the, the next type of culture is sort of a superhero culture where sometimes, and this is typical in a, in a, in a uh, founder uh, type of company, owner operator company, where you have a highly charismatic, really passionate founder uh, who really, you know, the, the culture resembles that individual's personality. Now, if that person's a great person, um, it could be an amazing place to be. But if that person's a tyrant, a dictator, a bully, you've got a completely different environment on your hands, right? And everybody now spends all their time managing up. But even if that person is 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 superhuman and great, the risk is there's often too much leadership on one person and not enough strength built up uh, in other leaders. And then the final one that we see a lot of, uh, you know, is, is this sort of, I call it the stable of thoroughbred. So imagine, you know, you're at a horse track uh, and all the, all 
all the horses are kind of in their stalls ready to go and they've got their blinders on and the gates open and off they go all racing to uh, you know a finish line but they can't see one another and so each horse represents the functions in any company you got sales you got marketing you got r&d you got ops and operations you got manufacturing if that's one you got product development you got hr you've got you know and everyone's kind of fighting with one another and and sometimes i've worked in companies where I facilitated an offsite with say the top 100 leaders or top 150 leaders or depending on the size of the company, top 50, it doesn't really matter, where the competition inside the company is greater than what they face in the marketplace. And it just creates so much wasted energy, so much dysfunction. And so what I describe is really what we got to create is a strong community of leaders. And and in the books, there's a, you know, a real a lot of time spent in creating that where there's 10 characteristics, where there's clarity on strategy, an aspiration to be great as leaders, real mutual support. Uh, politics is kept to a minimum. They have the courage to call each other out. Uh, and and, and uh, particularly when leaders are behaving badly or, or in a way that's misaligned to the company's values. Uh, leaders are finding ways to break down silos, to work together. They're celebrating success and key milestones. Uh, they come together in the face of adversity. And ultimately, it's typified by a high trust where they, where I hear over and over again, where senior leaders are saying, I want to be in an environment where I know my colleagues have my back. And, and when you've got that environment, it's, it's a special place, um, you know, for the leaders but it's a really special place for employees because everyone sees the tone. And research shows that when employees see their senior leaders and middle managers working well together, their personal sense of engagement immediately jumps to 72% just by seeing how the leaders work together. And if they look up and see those leaders not working well together, their engagement drops down to 8%. So that's the other reason why you've got to focus on being deliberate and creating a culture is because it's not just about leadership culture, it's about what employees experience. And what employees experience, your customers are going to experience. Well, Vince, I feel like we've hardly scratched the surface. Uh, One thing I will say to listeners is that this book is chock full of great information and I haven't read the leadership contract yet, but I can tell that you've woven so much of that into accountable leaders in a way that helps it to to really make sense and it pulls your work together really well. Before we finish up today, I want to give you a second. If there's anything that you think would be really good to highlight from the book that we haven't talked about yet or something that you would just like to reiterate from our conversation today, I'd love to give you the floor to to share that with the listeners. What I'd like to really leave is, uh, you know, a thought for, for your listeners, which is uh, one of the things I've noticed is that there has been, uh, you know, in our world, uh, cries of accountability um, as we saw, as we've looked around and have seen uh, political leaders, corporate leaders uh, responding to the pandemic, some responding well, some not responding well. And that's what I've learned and why accountability is so critical, and why I would encourage all your listeners to focus there if they really want to take their leadership to the next level. Because as I said before, you know, we hold leaders to a higher standard of behavior. And when they let us down, not only do we feel you know, discouraged and frustrated, uh, but in some cases, people protest. Uh, and they either protest in the streets 
or they show up to work disengaged, which is another form of protest. We never think about it in that way. Not giving their best, withholding their greatest ideas because they don't feel their leader is, is worth their full discretionary effort. And so what I would challenge everyone at this time is we need every leader to be as strong as they can possibly be. Whether you're a team lead, a frontline supervisor, a middle manager, a director level leader, or at the C-suite or executive level, uh, an honest self-reflection of, am I being truly accountable? Am I setting the tone which, was, which is going to inspire people to be their best, to work together to drive our results? And so to me, we need our leaders to be stronger than they are. And uh, that's the challenge to all of your listeners. So thanks, Joshua, for the opportunity to uh, chat with you. Absolutely. And if people want to go to find out more about your book and you and the work that you do, where can people go to do that? Yeah. So connecting with me personally, uh, quite simply on uh, LinkedIn, uh, the website, drvincemolinero.com. And the books are available at all the major booksellers, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and others. All right, Vince, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Joshua, and wish you continued success in your work. If you'd like to follow up with Vince, you can go to his website at drvincemolinero.com. And if you'd like to find out other ways to connect with him, you can find out how to do that in the show notes below. Now, let's go ahead and go to our three key takeaways. The first one is this. A lot of leaders don't realize this, but there's always an implicit contract that leaders sign when they take a role. Leaders are held to a higher standard, and the faster they realize this, the more effective they can be in their leadership. The second key takeaway is the difference in employee engagement between people who see their leaders working well together versus not working well together. He said the difference is 72% engagement for people who do see their leaders working well together versus 8% engagement for people who do not see their leaders working well together. And the final key takeaway is the five behaviors that accountable leaders show. First of all, they hold everyone, including themselves, to high standards. Second, they have the courage to tackle tough issues. Third, they're very good at communicating the strategy of the organization. Four, they're really excited about the company and its future. And five, they look outside their own business to anticipate trends. I especially encourage you to think back through those five things and think about which of those you can begin improving on to help yourself be a more accountable and more effective leader. And if you're looking for other ways to be a more effective leader, I encourage you to go to leadershipactionlist.com to download your free leadership action list. This is a year's worth of weekly leadership action steps for you to improve your leadership. It's a great thing for you and your leadership team to be using so that you can be a more effective leader, be a more effective leadership team, and by working better together, you're able to spark employee engagement throughout your entire organization. Once again, that's leadershipactionlist.com. I look forward to sharing with you again later this week. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. 
Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.